This is Richard Ellis Talks with founding pastor of Reunion Church in the heart of downtown Dallas, Richard Ellis. This is a place for encouragement and hope as Richard challenges us to continue to grow in Jesus. And all month long, he's focused on holiday themes as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas. Now, if you're not able to stay with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up on the 25 Talks of Christmas Advent Calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. Every talk can be listened to whenever you're ready on your own time at richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Scent of a Woman. And I want you to turn primarily to Luke chapter 1, but although we'll jump around a little bit beyond that. It's interesting to me when you look at Scripture, I think, you know, obviously not a woman, but sometimes I think women look at it and think, well, this is all about men, and women are used in some bad ways and in some good ways, but, you know, is this a man's kind of religion, and men are supposed to lead, and if they don't, what's going on, and women have to jump in there? But clearly, there is a place beyond just a place for women in the scheme of things spiritually. And what is so fascinating to me, one of the things about the birth of Christ or about the life of Christ is that if you look even after his death, his burial and resurrection, he appears and disappears, appears and disappears, and he's there one second, the room's all locked up and he's gone. Why did he have to come of a woman? Why was he sent of a woman to begin with? Why didn't he just show up? Why did he have to go through a womb and being born and being a baby and going through everything that we went through? We're going to look at some of that today. She's a little Jewish girl. God chose her out of nowhere to be the mother of God. And I think if she had done her homework, she would have known, you know, the passage in Isaiah 7, 14. And in a minute, when we read Luke 1, you'll see that she had some familiarity, if not a lot, with Old Testament passages. Because a lot of times when you go to express yourself, if you know Scripture, you don't just say things to God. You find yourself quoting Scripture back to God that's already in your heart. And there may be a phrase from here, a psalm over here, a verse from over there, and it's kind of like this hodgepodge, this melange of different things that you throw together and try to say to God, man, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, you're awesome, you're holy. These things come from Scripture a lot of times. And in the case of Mary, it was the same. In Isaiah 7:14, some people know this is there, some people never heard of it. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin cannot bear a child. It's not possible. A virgin cannot conceive and bear a son by herself. It is not possible. So if you're a Jewish little girl, little boy, man or woman, and you're waiting and watching, if the sign is going to be a virgin, There's a possibility even that these little girls grow up reading and hearing about this and you kind of think in the back of your mind maybe, well, I've waited. Maybe it's me. Maybe a Messiah will literally come through me. Now, you talk about a great incentive to remain a virgin if that kind of motivates you. I mean, it's not going to happen to anybody else anymore. I'm not saying there's no motivation. But keeping yourself pure in this case, Mary would have messed up God's entire plan for her to be used by doing that one thing, crossing that one line. But she waited, and for some reason, God, out of all the women on the planet, all the women in history, picks her. Now, let me point this out. She is not just a virgin. She is the virgin. And there have been a lot of virgins since and a lot of virgins before Mary. Now, what happens is people jump and say, okay, she's not then just a virgin. She is the virgin. Well, let's make her the mega virgin. Let's just turn her into, you know, you've heard this phrase, holy mother of God. That's what people want to make her. 
is the Holy Mother of God. Now, let me just throw this in here before we even jump into Luke 1. Mary is no more holy than I am holy or you are holy if you know Christ. Okay? Mary is a simple little girl. And I'm going to read you something. I'll jump ahead in my notes here just a little bit. In the Catholic Encyclopedia, an article by Frederick Holwick, let me just give you some background on this whole thing about Mary because there's a lot of... Some people think, for instance, that Immaculate Conception is about Jesus and his birth. It is about Mary. And let me read you this paragraph, and I quote Frederick Holwick. In the Constitution in Fabulous Deus of 8 December 1854, Pius IX pronounced and defined that the Blessed Virgin Mary, quote, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular privilege and grace granted by God in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. So somehow, right when Mary, right before she was born, all original sin was removed from Mary. Now, let me tell you something. It's not possible. It's not biblical. It didn't happen. And you say, well, you're, you know, it's offensive. And let me read you another paragraph, a few paragraphs down. He said, quote, no direct or categorical and stringent proof of the dogma can be brought forward from Scripture. This Catholic writer says there is no scriptural basis for this whatsoever. A pope says She's the Virgin Mary. She's the blessed Virgin Mary. It's immaculate conception. And there you have it. Just because somebody says something is true, don't make it true. Even if he's a Pope. Okay. I know you say, well, I grew up Catholic and I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not here to make you comfortable or necessarily uncomfortable. I'm telling you, you better go find it in the book. And if it's not in the book, it's okay not to be comfortable. You got a problem if you can't back it up with scripture. So it's not a bad thing to be uncomfortable every once in a while. Now, does that mean that Mary is not some great woman? No. I mean, God clearly chose her. And when you see, you read the story, and let's jump in here a little bit in Luke chapter 1. This passage, by the way, we're going to jump in at verse 39, but 46 to 55 is called the Magnificat. And it's the song, as the song is called, it's kind of a song. It's something she expresses. But I want to jump in a few verses before that in verse 39. And it says here, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Now this is after the angel had appeared to her, told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. She'd be with child. The child would be God himself. This has all gone down with her already. So she goes to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost in the book of Acts, Saul or a king or prophet, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but it was a very unusual thing. He didn't come stay. Something happens everywhere where Mary went. She took Jesus in her, with her. Now, I have no way to even begin to describe this to you. It's something a man will never understand except for this. When Mary is walking around and even walks into Zacharias and Elizabeth's house and Elizabeth senses what? She's not freaked out because Mary came to visit her. Her cousin came to see her. She is aware of the power and the presence of almighty God in the room somehow and flips completely out, is overcome by the Holy Spirit and begins to express this as you'll see here in a minute. Now, let me jump way forward and say this. We are all pregnant if you know Christ. And it is beyond pregnant. You have been pregnant. You have been birthed. He lives in you. And when we walk in a room, you should be no more stunned 
than Mary should have been that she walked in and had Jesus inside her womb. You may be a man and you don't have a womb. You've got a soul. You've got a spirit. And the scripture says that he comes to live in you and through you. That ought to be the same thing that happens. If we have not covered up Christ in our lives, when you walk into a business, when you walk into a house, when you encounter people who don't know Christ, there ought to be something that almost knocks them back because they sense and see the power of God in your life. You say, well, nobody sees that in my life. They never noticed that. What are you talking about? Then maybe climb back in your closet and say, God, why is this not obvious to people that I know you? And why are they not aware of not my presence, but your presence and your power manifest in my life? Now keep reading what happens here in verse 41. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. You're the ticket. You got it. You know, amazing Mary. How in the world could this have happened to somebody I know kind of thing. Blessed are you among women of all the women who would ever live. Eve notwithstanding. Eve's a part of seeing the whole thing get screwed up. Now another woman comes along and is a party to seeing the whole thing fixed. Now on that note, go over to Genesis chapter 3. And if you read after the fall, after they've sinned, after everything's been messed up, then God addresses the man, the woman, the snake. And in verse 14 and following, he addresses the serpent. Genesis 3, 14 and following. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now look at this, verse 15. Women don't have seed. I mean, that may be stunning to some of you. Women don't have seed. You say, well, duh. Anybody knows that? Then why is it in here? Who is he talking about? In between your seed and her seed. And the her seed here is Mary. And the seed in my translation is a capital S because the seed would represent Christ. It would be Jesus himself. He shall bruise your head. Jesus will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And if you get a good look at Jesus' heel anytime soon, you'll understand what that was talking about. One bruised the other's head, the other one bruised the heel, but from the get-go, part of the curse was that there would be this enmity, this battle between the seed, her seed, and between the serpent, between Satan himself. Now flip back over to Luke chapter 1. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, now literally, it's a big deal, and I don't want to minimize, I'm not going to go immaculate conception because it's not biblical, but let me tell you something. Do not minimize a woman's place in the plan of God and Mary's clearly being picked to be literally the mother of God. She had to raise this kid. She had to raise him up in the nurture and the admission of the Lord. She had to instill, she had to teach. I mean, you think you got trouble raising your kids. What if you got Jesus, God staring back at you and, you know, you go to do something, he goes, no, try again. You know, no, I'm not saying he did that kind of stuff, but, you know, you talk about an overwhelming, intimidating situation. You think you've got a, you know, an incredible smart child. She's got God on her hands and she knows it the whole time. And here Elizabeth is saying, what happened? I mean, how did I get so blessed, so lucky that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And it's interesting to me that these things are so personal. Elizabeth has a relationship with God. The mother of my Lord, she understands who's in that womb. 
And there's no way for us to even begin to comprehend all that's going down here in their hearts and minds. It's just almost surreal, I'm sure, to be there. Verse 44, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, let me very parenthetically on verse 45 say this, and this is not just to women, it's to anybody. What is it that God has told you is going to go down, promises from his word, you read them, you know them, you see them, you believe it, and then you start pulling away going, it's not going to happen. Mary was told this was going to happen, but she had to respond, had to figure out, okay, God has said this, what is going to be my reaction or response. Am I going to believe? And obviously she did because even Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed. You got it. God said it. He told you what was going to happen, but you went with it. What is it that God is telling you? And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I will not be a party to that. I don't want that trouble in my life. I don't want to trust you for that. I don't want to go there. Mary somehow said, okay, I see the challenges. I see what it's going to cost, but I'm going to believe you. And Elizabeth says there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now flip over to verse 46, just down one more verse. Then Mary speaks, and this is what's called the Magnificat. Mary speaks, and she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. I don't think she had a little speech written. I think she got so full, she started to overflow and praise God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And if you read, I mean, she said it in another language, and the word here, I love this stuff in the Greek, and I don't give you all this much. It's megaluno. I mean, she's like, I megaluno, you God. My soul megalunos you. I mean, it even sounds big. My soul magnifies the Lord. And the word here, megaluno, means to make great, to magnify, metaphorically, to make conspicuous. Is God made conspicuous in your life by your soul, by your worship of him? To deem or declare great, to esteem highly, to extol, to laud, to celebrate, to get glory and praise. When you get overwhelmed with emotion and something wells up inside of you, you want to stand up, you want to raise your hands up, you want to scream, you want to punch the air, you want to megaluno something. And I think Mary, whatever her personality, whatever she was as a little girl, whatever age she was at the time, all of a sudden it hits her maybe and she's with Elizabeth and Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit. Forget the Holy Spirit. She's got God inside of her as a baby. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. It's rejoice means to exult, rejoice exceedingly, be exceedingly glad. And then the look at the phrase, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. It's personal with Elizabeth. It's personal with Mary. They're not talking about some God ethereal being higher power. It's my Savior, my Lord. They know this God they're talking to and talking about. Verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. And that it's true, we all call her blessed. And the word means to pronounce blessed. The same word used, I believe, over in the Beatitudes. Blessed, happy, wow. Look what happened to her. She's lucky. She's blessed. She's not lucky. She's blessed. But it doesn't make her pure. It doesn't make her holy. It doesn't make her something she's not. She's just blessed. The blessed Virgin Mary, yes. Immaculate conception, no. You don't have to go that far with it to get the deal done. 
For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about some little girl, some virgin girl, unmarried, never had sex, who got pregnant with God himself. Verse 48, and then let's keep going. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And here's another word in verse 49. Great things, megaleos. A lot of mega words. She's like in a mega state of mind or something here. She's throwing out words. He who is mighty has done megaleos for me. And the word means magnificent, excellent, splendid, wonderful things for me. You know, every once in a while, you just get overwhelmed with stuff. And it's out of nowhere. And you get overwhelmed with this sense of appreciation and joy and megaleos and megalunos. And you just can't say enough to him. And you don't even have words and you don't know how to express your gratitude to God. And forget all that every once in a while hits you. That this stuff really is true. And that this God really does love us. And the proof of that is that he picked a little virgin girl. And before the foundation of the world decided we would screw up, we'd need a savior. And he would come himself, born of a virgin, live a perfect life, die on a cross, be buried, raised from the dead, and do it all to say, I love you. And that hits you. And you think, my soul magnifies the Lord. Because I don't deserve this mercy. I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve this kind of love. And why would he so holy come after me so unholy and give me the time of day? What is man that you are mindful of him? You see what I'm saying? You start thinking this stuff. And before you know it, you're praying it back and praising him. And here Mary is in this moment, and it's recorded for us, Elizabeth, just two people. You can worship anywhere. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. She's one of the lowly, by the way, that got exalted. Who is this little Jewish chick? She's no queen. She's no body. Some simple girl that got picked out of the crowd and God said, you're it, and knew it from the beginning of time. Exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And then it says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. What conversations went on there, only God knows, in those two women. Now, I want you to jump with me to Galatians chapter 4. We may have time to read two or three more here. Now, why did Jesus not just show up on the planet? 30 years old, grab some guys, do his thing, let him crucify him and get out of here. Why being born of a virgin? Why coming in the flesh? Why go through this whole mess of growing up, tempted in all manner as we are, yet without sin? If he had just shown up, made an appearance, crucify me, I'm out of here, it's a rock star savior. This is a guy who came the way everybody comes except that he was born of a virgin. He's not some man's son. He is literally God's son. But he said, I'm going to come to the planet. What was intended for Adam and Eve, the relationship they had that got messed up by sin, I'm going to come and be born physically. 
under the law, as we'll see in a minute, and I'm going to set this thing in order, and I'm going to make it possible for you to have the intended relationship with God, though you're still on a fallen planet. You can live the Christian life. You can talk to God, walk with God, do the right thing, and I'm going to show you how to do that as well. Jesus lived a life and showed us how to do it, said, if you'll follow me, I'll take you there. I'll take you all the way to the Father. And by the way, there's no way to the Father but by him. Now look at Galatians chapter 4. And you have to read the whole chapter and around it to get the complete context. But he says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. And it basically describes if you're 12 years old, your parents die and leave you $100 million, you don't go spend the $100 million. You have people over you, guardians over you, who are trustees over that money until you're of age. And so he gives this example. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, sent of a woman, born under the law. And why? To redeem those who were under the law that he might receive the adoption as sons. He had to come and get under what we were under, be born into that in the flesh, live through that, not eliminate the law, but fulfill the law himself. So he comes in the way we come in with the same stuff on us, and then when he lives this perfect life, dies this death, is raised from the dead, he breaks the curse, he shuts all this down. He had to come, he had to be sin of a woman, he had to be born, he had to come, and though he was in the flesh, he never sinned in the flesh, but he took on this form the same way that we do. Go over to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and let's start reading in verse 1 just to get some context here as well. Philippians 2, 1, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others." Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about this mindset, this way of thinking. And here's how Christ Jesus thought. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus went all the way. He didn't do it partially. He started just the way we start, born of a virgin in the flesh, had to grow up, had to go through through every temptation, and then died on this cross. Look over at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, let's read verses 13 and 14 over there. Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
when he was born under the law, died on the cross under the law, he put an end to that. He put an end to the curse of the law and set us free, made this relationship, this amazing personal relationship with God possible. No more sacrifices, no more temple with a big veil. He literally, as in the case of Mary herself, Jesus lived inside her in the flesh, and now he lives inside of us in the spirit. Why? Because we have been born a second time. And when we were born a second time, he takes resident inside of us and changes everything. It is essential that he was sent of a woman. There's no way to do it without that. And because he was willing to come and take care of the law and die on that cross, if any man be in Christ, as Corinthians says, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And it made all the difference. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. So many people like you tell us that Richard's unique way of boiling down God's truths and making his word clear and easy to apply to our daily life is what sets this program apart from everything else on your radio, helping to reach everyone together with God's good news. In fact, reaching everyone together is not only Pastor Richard's ministry mission, but it's also the mission that Jesus commands each believer when he gave us our marching orders in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So that's what these daily talks are all about, to encourage and equip us to be a light of hope to others this Advent season. Now, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the daily Advent calendar at richardellistalks.com to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there on the homepage at richardellistalks.com. And while you're on the website, be sure to surf around for hundreds of other encouraging audio and video talks, tons of interesting blogs, or to submit a request on the prayer wall, or to follow us on social at Talk With Richard, and much more. It's all right there at richardellistalks.com, alongside the Daily Christmas Talks Advent Calendar. So as we wrap up, thank you for listening today, and thank you for praying for Richard. As we look forward to coming alongside you again for the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas on Richard Ellis Talks.